0: Equal Housing Lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank.
1: My mission is simple: to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Today, we have one of those periodic recognition days, one where we realize that stocks are just pieces of paper and they can easily go to zero. Although, fortunately, that's where they stop, unlike the oil futures. And that's why we got hammered. Dow plunging 632 points. No, no, no. S&P plummeting 3.07%. NASDAQ nosediving 3.48 percent. I think yesterday's oil crash, the one that took the May oil futures to negative territory, terrified people. Really did. If you had to pay 37 dollars pay to get rid of a barrel of oil, do you really want to own a company uh, that's in the oil business, uh, or how about a bank that lent to a bunch of oil companies? Even though the May futures rebounded to 10 dollars a barrel like, hey, oil's above zero. The more representative June futures plummeted to single digits before rebounding to the low teens later in the afternoon. It's not a good sign. In other words, today, the real physical world of commodities interfered with the paper world of stocks. My cynical size says we rallied hard from the bottom for not much reason here. Since the pandemic started, the Dow crashed from 29,000 to 18,000, and then we flew right back to 24,000. We went from dramatically oversold to dramatically overbought pretty quickly. And maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves. Sure, it looks like we've slowed the spread of the coronavirus more than that later today tonight, and and you're going to like it, I think, that we're still seeing thousands of deaths per day and the economy's still on hiatus. Look at it this way. If businesses really expected things to get better anytime soon, don't you think somebody would have stepped in yesterday and taken delivery of all that oil that was for free that they were paying you to take? That suggests things may have gotten incredibly weak, weaker than even the pessimists thought while the averages flew up. Now, it doesn't help that in the past 24 hours, IBM and Coca-Cola both told us that things got bad near the end of the first quarter. Although, uh, solid numbers from Snap, from Netflix, Texas Instruments, and especially Chipotle this very evening might help change the downbeat narrative. And now the governor of Georgia is coming out and he's lifting the lockdown, even though his state has some of the worst COVID hotspots in the country. He's talking about opening bowling alleys, hair salons, massage parlors for sake. sake, Clearly, we're whistling past the graveyard, right? Maybe not. Were we due for a pullback this week? Absolutely. We got very overbought. I've been telling people that. But I think it's a mistake to read too much negativity into this stuff. For starters, you can't really take your cue from the oil market because the oil market is insane. The oil futures contracts that were due to settle today collapsed after some rookies who didn't know what they were doing got fleeced. All the traditional storage areas for crude, whether it be uh, tanks in uh, Cushing, Oklahoma, or, or, or those giant tankers on the, on the ocean, well, they're pretty much full. And the rookies didn't know that. More importantly, though, the oil producers are totally disconnected from reality, and this is what really matters. I've been telling you that we're pumping way too much in this country. The oil market's been saying the same thing, but the producers, they have not been listening. We know that the traditional buyers of crude have all been set back by the pandemic. Last night, we spoke to Russia Brazil of RBN Energy. He's the best oil analyst on Earth, bar none. This is the guy who predicted oil Armageddon for yesterday. He got it right, and he told us that this decline is 85% because of the virus. In any other industry, literally any industry, when demand evaporates, you so what you do, you're Cut back production. Think Levi's, they, when they keep sewing jeans and people stop buying them. Newcore wouldn't make all the tons of steel if nobody wanted it. Scott's Miracle-Gro would cut back on their fertilizer if Home Depot said no thanks. Micron has repeatedly shut down production lines for chips rather than take prices below the cost of production. But not the U.S. oil producers. As oil prices collapsed earlier this year, did they pull the plug? Did they cut back? Did they uh, look at the pandemic and shut down their wells? No. Did they agree to cut production so as not to overwhelm the commodity markets and cause dislocation like we had yesterday? Not a chance. They just kept pumping and pumping pretty much the same record amounts that were pumping last year, roughly 13 million barrels a day. That's astounding. And it's ridiculous. When your product's in glut, you stop producing or at least you cut back, regardless of the near term damage it might do to some wells especially when it costs so much money for you to store the stuff. You can't just dump it in the ocean or ship it somewhere if it isn't needed. Unfortunately, our oil industry doesn't seem to know how to turn this bigot off. It needs to be turned off for them, and it probably will be in bankruptcy. The fact that oil out three years is trading at $40 a barrel shows you the short-term nature of the situation, the dislocation, and the insanity of it all. Everything's complicated by this ridiculous thing called the USO, which is an exchange-traded fund that takes your money and uses it to buy oil futures contract. This silly darn thing owns 23% of the entire May oil contract that crashed. It probably drove a lot of the decline. Every time the price of crude oil... Gets uh, hit, it drops. The USO has to rebalance and sell, so it's a vicious circle. It could be a washout, which is why the darn thing plummeted to two dollars and change today. The USO is a flawed instrument caught in the crossfire of overproduction. It won't stop going lower until the producers are shut in. It should never have been invented or allowed, but no one ever seems to want to interfere with trading. Not that when it generates too much money, it traded almost a billion shares today. We've seen this kind of reckless, feckless, frightening overproduction before in a different commodity. During the Great Depression, it happened with food. FDR created the Agricultural Adjustment Act, which authorized the destruction of crops and livestock. Kind of a bizarre bailout for farmers. I mentioned today that oil prices could get boosted if the president simply paid these companies to stop producing, which is what the industry wants. I took a lot of heat for that on Twitter, but it's the same principle as the Agricultural Adjustment Act. And the A.A.A. actually worked. That said, politically, bailing out small farmers obviously a much easier sell than bailing out rich oil investors. I think it's complicated and it's scary. But the higher price for the out years shows that once you beat the virus, then Demand will come back. How about the rest of the market? I think the oil collapse is just coloring everything. When IBM says that the end of March was weaker for software, Coca-Cola predicts a big decline in soft drink sales because of the lack of demand from restaurants. You can extrapolate and figure, all right, here we go. So did computers. They're going to join the oil descent. When we heard that Apple's pushing out iPhone sales, well, there goes that ballgame. And, of course, the rap is that things are only going to get worse because here comes Governor uh, Brian Kemp of Georgia, who's also had to open his state despite a horrible outbreak in Atlanta. I think it's too soon to reopen some of these small businesses, but I can where he's coming from. We're in a collision course with sky high unemployment. I can understand governors getting sick and tired of waiting for testing. You can call it reckless, but I think it's desperate. Without a lot more money from the federal government to help people get through this, the states are in a very tough situation. That said, it's probably too soon to end the lockdown, but I am so hopeful that Georgia has success. We need to balance work and health where they will end up being one and the same. We won't have either. Instead, we'll have civil unrest, not unlike the European 1930s. The bottom line, the oil collapse isn't the end of the world. But, man, this market got ahead of itself after that $2.2 trillion bailout and now rolling back some of those gains but not all of them. So I say stay tuned and watch later in the show. You won't believe it. Michael in New York. Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Michael. Thanks for, yeah, Michael.
2: for my call. And uh, thanks for helping us get through this trying time with your always reliable uh, knowledge and wisdom. Excellent. Uh, I'm a long-term investor looking to add to my position of the stock that reports tomorrow. Considering this historic drop in oil prices, what do you think of my alternative energy pick NextEra Energy or do you have a different favorite? I right just now think
1: it's sector? a great it's a great growth utility. I have liked NextEra for ages and ages. That pullback I think is a godsend for you. Let's go to Steve in Arizona, Stephen.
2: Jim, good afternoon. First good afternoon. time caller, long-time listener. Um, Jim, I'm diabetic. I've been a I've been a fan of Dexcom for about 10 years now, and I know you're the only analyst who really ever talks about Dexcom, and I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on them being well, added I'd like to the, the NASDAQ 50s. 100.
1: I've liked it since the 50s. to 300, and stock was down today. Uh, I buy it. I buy it. Uh, we've had two CEOs on, Kevin Sayer last. I think it's a remarkable product, and I think remarkable products uh, and an unfortunate uh, epidemic of diabetes Makes it so you should be a buyer of Dexcom. Brad in Nevada. Brad. Hey, Jim. How are you from
2: the great Battleborn state of Nevada?
1: Nevada. See, it's pronounced Nevada, Regina. She's it. always fighting with me on that. What's up? I, yes.
2: I wanted your opinion on the uh, what the update is on the merger acquisition between El Dorado Resort and Caesars. I know that the deal was supposed to close on March 25th. And now there's rumors that
1: it's going to close possibly in June. The deal was valued at $17 billion. And I wanted to know if you thought that the, um, the deal is, A, going to go through. What effect do you think Carl Icahn has on the final deal? And Caesar seems to trade about four or five times the,
2: the volume as Eldorado. Well, I am going
1: to just test? wipe the slate clean and say that there is a man. A man in Las Vegas who has a vision. That man's name is Matt Maddox, and he runs Wynn. And I think Wynn is the one to buy. scrutinized his plans to be able to open it, I know a lot of people are skeptical. But Mr. Maddox has thought a lot more about it, and that's why I await him coming on the show to talk about the reopening of Wynn. The oil collapse is coloring everything, but it is not the end of the world. I hope you understand there's a lot of insanity and shenanigan to it. This market got ahead of itself, too. But roll back some of gains, that's all. Hey everybody, tonight, the White House just ordered Puritan to make swabs needed for coronavirus testing under the Defense Production Act. I'll find out what it means for the company and whether it can keep up with demand. These are not Q-tips, people. Then I'm turning to the charts to find out when the, the uh, data can actually signal when the economy can up again. I know it's charts. You're going to love it. And it's a mobile Wi Fi company that's seeing a huge demand surge as millions work from home. And it may not be on your radar, but it should be. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call. At 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
3: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
2: This is what it's about. Right? Is it uh, does it remind you of something? Reminds you of this, right? One's a swab, one's a Q-tip. It's actually different. It's very sophisticated, actually. But it's a little bit like, so this is the swab.
1: Two days ago, President Trump announced that he would invoke the Defense Production Act to compel companies to make more of the specialized synthetic swabs that we need to test people for the coronavirus. Swabs like the long one he held up at Sunday's show. He didn't mention anyone by name. He was talking about Puritan Medical Products. That's a privately held company that's a major player in the swab space. Then yesterday, the president's trade advisor, Peter Navarro, argued this would actually help Puritan because it would allow the federal government to give them financial support. Although so far, it's still not clear whether the Defense Production Act has officially been invoked. Either way, Puritan Medical is expected to ramp up production with the goal of making 20 million specialized swabs per month, up from three to four million right now. I keep telling you we need more testing, which means we need a lot more swabs. So are they up for the challenge? Let's check in again with Timothy Templin. He's Puritan's medical products executive vice president of global sales. You get a better sense of the situation. Mr. Templin, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Good afternoon, Jim.
1: All right. So, Timothy, where are we with the government? How many more are you able to produce? And is the Defense Production Act helpful to your uh, activities?
4: It is a partnership between Puritan and the government. It's really a very, very nice thing, actually. It will allow us to build um, a a great amount of capacity within hopefully five to six weeks to supply a minimum of 20 million swabs uh, per month and up to almost 50 million swabs per month. How are you going to be able to do it in just a few weeks like that? A lot of main ingenuity, Jim. Um, We are working with a very large construction company called Chimbro, who is very familiar with um, construction. They have a building that's about 40 miles south of our facility. They're going to put a lot of time and people at it. And we have uh, two outside builders to build the uh, machine parts for, for us to do the assembly here in Maine. Um, and it's, they want it in five to six weeks. And we're up for the challenge.
1: Now, uh, currently, uh, when you're when you're designated defense production, does that mean that everything stays in our country? And that if someone wanted your swabs, they, you'd have to say no to them uh, from overseas?
4: I'm unfamiliar with that, that particular part of it. What, what will happen, Jim, is that this is a whole other plan that will make one swab only. We continue to make all the swabs here that we make currently. Um, and we've been shipping to the government for the last couple of weeks, spending millions of swabs. So this is an adjunct to the capacity that we currently have, not only for the government, but for the, our standard customers. So let's talk about the workers that
1: you can get. Uh, there's so many people are unemployed in this country. Are some people getting jobs at Puritan?
4: Yes, they are. We've hired uh, almost 50 people in the last three weeks. The new plant will take 130 people, and then we go into a full, full automation scheme once we're up and running to, uh, to then try to, to adjust the employees uh, downward a little bit so we can be much more efficient and do things much quicker.
1: Now, at one point we heard uh, Governor Cuomo talking about how he didn't want states bidding against each other for ventilators. Will all of yours be given to FEMA, which will then distribute? Or is it governor to governor and a governor could call you and say, listen, we're in a jam and uh, we'd like this month's allocation?
4: No, I mean, I I believe that what's happening is is that the government is 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 assuring that there's enough capacity of swabs to be shipped uh, around the United States but also support some of the other companies that use swabs in their point of care diagnostic test kits today, um, as well as, you know, lab, ind- independent laboratories. Do you
1: uh, foresee a world where I could drive to my local uh, parking lot of a mall that is usually empty these days and there'll be uh, some tents there and someone can uh, uh, give me a Puritan swab, I can insert it and get back and, and maybe find out quickly whether I've got it so I can go about my way?
4: I believe that technology is there today. Abbott Laboratories has a rapid point of care test kit that uses a foam swab. Um, we Today we shipped, uh, I think, I don't know, 60,000, 70,000 swabs to Rite Aid for their testing on, on site. Um, there's a lot of activity that's going on with the government, with Puritan, and and the, the numbers are moving out every week. This week we will we will have sold or shipped uh, 1.5 million swabs, flock swabs, and foam swabs uh, out of Puritan to not only the government, but also to all individual states in the United States.
1: So, this sounds like a, just in a very short period of time, uh, when we hear that we need testing, 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 Puritan has risen to the call. Even though you're, you're, you're not a large public company, you're able to deliver when called upon.
4: Well, we're, we're nimble. We're, we're family owned. We're nimble. We're in Maine. Um, the support that we have from this, the large construction company is going to help us build the facility or build out the facility. They're all about it, they love challenges. And it's all about let's get going. Were you surprised to see uh, on Sunday that the president held up two
1: Q-tips and there proudly was a Puritan right in the middle?
4: Well, you know, I saw it after the fact, so I didn't see it the day he did it. But, uh, yeah, we are proud of that. You know, a Puritan is an American made company um, in Maine and we're proud of all of our employees and the hard work that's been going on since the last time we spoke. And uh, we're just pumping swabs out and we're living the dream.
1: Well, I know old friend Peter Navarro. I've known him for many, many years. He was tough on 3M. I think he had to be, but I imagine the conversations with uh, him and you, which I know are, are private, but but they're productive in the sense that he just wants you to have as much capacity as possible.
4: Right, and and you know this 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 era now it will put many millions of swabs in the marketplace over the next few months and. And we're not going to stop. And we have we have the where all to make many, many hundreds of millions of swabs. And this is a this is, as I said, we're living the dream. We're going to make it happen for the United States. So is
1: the uh, supply chain now uh, better than it was when we saw last? Because I know that we were concerned that
4: you could get everything together. No, it is much better now. It's uh, a little bit more organized. We know uh, the many millions are going out each month to many of our customers. It's a well-oiled machine and they need more and we're going to provide more for them.
1: Well, look, I want to thank you for everybody for, for uh, getting us back to work and for putting people to work, too, in a uh, terrific mm-hmm. situation. That's Timothy Temple, Executive Vice President of Global Sales at Puritan Medical Products. Thank you so much, sir. Great to see you.
4: Thank you, Jim. Have a nice evening. You.
1: See, good things happen. money's back to the break. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her
0: super-sized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines we knocked it out during a grocery run no appointment that's next level supermom from pneumonia to shingles hpv and more get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop welcome to an easier pharmacy welcome to your walmart zero dollar copay with most insurances state age and health restrictions may apply earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: All right. After another ugly day for the averages, I want to take a step back. You know, I've been very outspoken about this virus. I started freaking out about it in February when Wall Street was still pretending like it wouldn't be a big problem here. I've been adamant that we really can't be open for business until we have a lot more testing, mainly because there won't be enough customers until people feel safe. No demand. You know, I'm, I'm taking this thing very seriously. Now, many people think I'm taking it too seriously. Tonight, though, I want to consider a contrarian view. We know South Carolina just started reopening. The governor of Georgia is about to reopen, too. I've been worried that maybe the rest of the country is lagging a few weeks behind New York with uh, the virus. And if that's the case, reopening right now is a bad idea. But what if Georgia and South Carolina are right? Is that possible? I've said someone needs to go first, although perhaps not as aggressively as the governor of Georgia. But while I remain skeptical, there might be some reason to be more optimistic. See, this weekend, I checked in with Larry Williams. He's a legendary technician who's been trading futures, commodities, stocks since I was little. We featured his work on Off the Charts before. Williams has written more than a dozen books. He's got his own website, iReallyTrade.com. He's created a slew of technical indicators. He has many students. And uh, these indicators are named after him, and we all think about them all the time. Most importantly, he's got an incredible track record when it comes to forecasting, including with mad money. Now, Williams said... He had something on the coronavirus that would surprise me. Based on his chart work, he thinks we could be able to reopen for business as a nation in about three weeks. That's right. He's predicting we'll have the pandemic under control by mid-May. Needless to say, this is one of the boldest contrarian calls I've, I've ever seen. And I didn't hear. And I don't know a soul, a soul who comes on TV and says this. shocking. Coming from anyone else, I'd just dismiss it as wishful thinking. But Williams is not a wishful thinking kind of guy. He's a heavy hitter. He is one of the heaviest hitters there is. And his forecast, it's worth taking seriously. So how did he come up with it? With the charts. What makes him believe a lot of the virus under control within weeks rather than months? The charts. Yep, Williams is taking his cue from the technicals. The technicals of the rest of the world. Specifically, the countries that had outbreaks before we did. When you look at Italy, Germany, South Korea, even Iran, he sees a pattern. Broad strokes. At first, there's a huge ramp up in the number of new cases, which tend to peak after about 32 days, give or take a couple of weeks. Then over the next 32 days, again, give or take, you tend to see a major decline in those numbers. Let's start with the daily new. I told you this was a little different. Coronavirus cases in South Korea. Big caveat here, South Korea did a magnificent job of containing this thing. They rapidly set up testing just about everywhere. Remember, they were ready from SARS. When someone tested positively, they aggressively quarantined everyone that person had come in contact with. That's that contact tracing that I talk about, including separating people from their families. If we're grading this response to the outbreak, South Korea is at the top of the class. So consider this one data point. We'll get to the bottom of the class, too, which is Iran. Now, I bring this up Because Williams points out some stunning similarities between the countries with the best and worst responses, as well as the ones in the middle. In South Korea, they had their first case in late January. OK, then, according to the Johns Hopkins Council, we're using the Hopkins numbers that everybody respects, took 32 days for the virus to peak in early March. From there, the number of new cases declined dramatically. OK, it took about 12 days for the spread to plummet to extremely low levels. How are things in South Korea now? You know, last week they held an election with the highest turnout in decades. Of course, the new normal is not the old normal. Everyone's got to wear masks and gloves and have their temperature taken. They even had special polling stations for anyone who shows up with a fever. I'll take that regimen. But the point for Williams is that this whole interlude lasted less than two months. All right. These are actual charts of this. Now, of course, South Korea is an exceptional situation. But what about countries where the outbreak got really bad? I'd argue that the United States has been following the path of Italy. Yeah. Difficult trajectory. So check out the daily new case count in Italy. It took 34 days for new cases to peak in Italy. All right. Uh, that's, again, according to the Hopkins numbers. Then new cases started to decline, although a lot more slowly than in South Korea, okay? Based on this bell curve projection, Williams could see the spread falling to much lower levels by April 27th, just six days from now. Maybe that's why the Italian government feels confident enough to start gradually lifting the lockdown on May 4th. All right, now, it, 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 you think it's optimistic, okay? Williams also did a trend line analysis of Italy. Take a look at this. If new cases keep declining at the same pace, Italy could be in the clear By May 12th. The charts. No emotion. Charts have no emotion. What about Germany, where they've done a much better job of slowing the spread since the peak on April 2nd? New cases have declined dramatically. It's the same general up and down slope. Based on his forecast, Williams thinks they'll be in the clear by May 5th. And Germany's already started to gradually reopen its economy. How about a country that handled the outbreak about as badly as you can? Let's talk about Iran, all right? Take a look at the daily new case count in Iran. Again, Williams points out that we've seen the same basic trajectory, though the president questioned the numbers in last weekend's show. What does it all mean for the United States? All right, here we go. Take a look at our daily new case chart. Where are we getting it? Hopkins. Apples to apples. Our new case is accelerated starting on March 11. We seem to have peaked on April 10th. Since then, we've seen a gradual decline in new cases, although some of that may be because we haven't been able to scale up testing as rapidly as we would have liked. Still, using the 30-day averages of countries that have already peaked, Williams projects that new cases will have fallen to a manageable level by May 11th to 12th. That's right. As he sees it, our country should be able to reopen in just a few weeks' time. Now, if that sounds too good to be true, believe me, I get it. I told you this was a shocking prediction. My gut says this forecast is too optimistic, maybe way too optimistic. But Williams is such a strong track record that I thought it was worth putting this idea out there. Here's the bottom line. I'm still very worried about this pandemic, just as, Not as worried as I was when I came back from the Super Bowl, which I didn't go to because I wanted to come here and tell you about this thing. But I, I worry about it every day. I'm scared like you. All right. But the charges interpreted by Larry Williams suggest that the future might be brighter than we expect. Oh, I hope he's right. Although to me, this prediction seems like a real long shot. Who knows, though? Sometimes long shots pay off. Richie in Ohio, Richie. Mr. Kramer, how are you doing, sir? Ah, uh, Richie, every day is Tuesday. What's up with you?
2: I know it's every Tuesday. I'm ready to get back to work. Mm-hmm. My uh, question is about Norton LifeLock.
1: Um, I was wondering if you thought um, with Everyone's staying at
2: home. It might benefit from the stay-at-home economy.
1: Look, I think the company itself is very cheap. I think that old spinoff and the Symantec uh, business was very hard to understand. But this company is a really fine company. Um, my friend Rick Hill uh, was very much involved in this split-off, and I think he did a great job. And I think the Norton LifeLock is a stock worth owning. I need to go to Maz in California. Maz. Hey Jim, it's Moz from Southern California. All right, let's go to uh, work.
2: I wanted to pick your brain about Uber. So obviously their core business is down. Yeah. But um, I'm thinking they're well positioned to repurpose the business, and you know, with Uber Eats and other potential runways with potentially
1: um, teaming up with an Amazon to uh, help with their delivery constraints. I know they're they're already doing some projects with the government and helping out with that.
4: What do you think? Well, they do need to, all those things
1: need to occur. I mean, I think that Uber, you know, it's funny. There's these stocks that I liked, and then you had the pandemic, and you can't like them as much. And I know that uh, it's harder to like Uber after the pandemic because there's so many things that have delayed uh, what I felt could have moved the stock up substantially. So I think that's a good long-term situation, nothing short-term. Let's go to Drew in Texas. Drew, Jimmy Chill. Yo, buddy. Brand new viewer in the last couple months, and I've been loving the show. Thank you. Thank you you for
2: everything. Thank you. I'm 25. I'm just getting into serious investing, and I've been building a a little position in Hilton since it's relatively low right now. And my question for you, keep building or sell, sell, sell?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I don't see the same... Uh, trajectory to the hotel business that you may see. And some of that is because of Arnie Sorensen, who is such a great man, who has run uh, Marriott. He made me feel like that the changes that are going on in the economy, I've got to tell you, the stay-at-home economy, make me less likely to think that that is a good long-term buy and that there's better there's better tools in the shed. All right, now look, guys, I am worried about this pandemic. I did speak positively about what George is trying to do, even though I wouldn't approach it that way. But these charts say that there are bright days ahead. And I want to hope that Larry Williams is right. He's been right before for us, big time. What's more money ahead? Yes. Uh, who said this isn't the most interactive show on television? A couple months ago, we covered a little-known volatile 5G play called seGo as a homework item. After a caller asked about it, CEO joins me tonight. Talk about demand in a work-from-home world. And, of course, a look at some names that Robin tells us young people are buying. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Because I'd like to see my wife, and I'll send her some swabs, and she can jam it up her nose to her brain, whatever they tell you to do. (laughs) I prefer to be a little more, maybe that's just not subtle enough. But wouldn't it be great you just jam it up, find out how you're doing, and go see your wife? Let's just do it, yeah. Do some jamming. It
0: all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
4: an
1: ugly day where Wall Street seemed to give up all hope again. I think we're circling back to stocks that have managed to roar higher during this very tough period and could do so again. Three months ago, we covered a really very volatile, little-known telco infrastructure company called Insego. It's symbol I-N-S-G. It was a homework item. At the time, I told you the story looked intriguing as a play on the rise of 5G, but the stock had run up dramatically so I was hesitant to recommend it. Clearly, I should have been more positive. Initially, as the coronavirus took the world by storm, Insego's stock tumbled from 6 bucks and change to 3 Bucks and change in the March lows. Since then, though, it's caught fire, rocketing to $11, and that's after a brutal 6.2% decline today. The reason? Two weeks ago, Insego pre announced some terrific first quarter numbers. Incredibly bullish guidance for the second quarter, too. Turns out the quarantine's driven a major surge in demand for Insego's mobile hotspot products, like the 5G hotspot that they launched last summer with, with Verizon. Company's still not probable, and it doesn't have a great balance sheet, though. I, I, it's certainly gotten better. And if we get a few more days like today, I think it's going to be very enticing. Don't take it from me. Let's hear from Dan Mondor. He's the chairman and CEO of Ensego. Learn more about his company's process. Mr. Mondor, welcome to Mad Money.
2: Hey, Jim, thanks for having me on.
1: Well, Dan, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm thrilled am thrilled, Joe. It was a great viewer who uh, we get a lot of our ideas from our viewers, and you truly, if you don't mind putting your own words, are in the hot spot for technology right now.
2: <laughs> well, we sure are. High demand for our products. Lots of uh, mobile operators coming to Inseego for our products during this work from home uh, period, school from home, etc. So there's been a real surge in demand. So talk about your,
1: uh, the evolution in strategy since you started your tenure, because this is actually
2: an old company with a new name. That's right. It's been around for actually 25 years. Uh, prior name was Novotel Wireless, so the company reformed. I joined the middle of 2017, um, really a, a turnaround effort, frankly. Um, and it's all about creating a direction, a strategy for the company. We launched that in early 18 and executing it since Um, it's focused on 5G. It's focused on IOT, industrial IOT uh, and cloud. And that was really uh, the North star that we put in place for the company.
1: Now, when I went over your conference call most recently, uh, and this was the March one, this is before the pre-announcement better. There are a huge number of trials going on with wireless carriers. How does a trial convert to become a full partnership?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, it clearly starts with engagement. You have to have the right technology that they want to procure. So it really starts with uh, a review of your product. You get uh, a design win, uh, meaning that they like what you've got. You have to prove it out. It goes to a testing trial period. Then it goes to commercial launch. So it's really a chain of events that you go through. And this is pretty standard for uh, mobile operators around the world. Can you give us one of the successful ones? Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, well, Verizon is one, certainly. Uh, Vodafone in the Middle East, um, uh, Telstra in Australia, um, and we've got another, uh, a number of others going on. Uh, AT&T was recently launched, T-Mobile, so, and there's many more in the hopper. Can't n- name names just yet, but there's around 20, and they're in various stages of advancing through that test and trial. Period.
1: So how does InsiGo help say when you don't have the typical infrastructure for uh, wireless, uh, for uh, high speed Internet? You can fill in for that, right? Particularly, I was thinking this could be great for, for poor neighborhoods that don't even have the technology that everyone should have in our country.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's an untethered society. Um, and so wireless is key um, to have a product that's plug and play, literally hold it in the palm of your hand. Put it on your counter, your tabletop, your desktop you 've got instant broadband internet access it 's highly secure and so if you you know in the rural areas, I think there's something like twenty plus million homes that have no broadband at all, but they have cellular wireless coverage so it 's kind of an instant broadband connection all right, so how do I get comfortable?
1: With the balance sheet, you've got an investor. You've done a lot of good here. But, you know, uh, when you have a stock that goes from 3 to 11, a lot of people are going to be very excited. They're going to watch the show. They're not going to look at the balance sheet side. They're going to look and hear about all these exciting things. And they are exciting. I need some comfort on the credit side.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, Let's just take a step back in the structure of the turnaround is you kind of have to separate the operational side from the financial, the balance sheet side, first things first. So we really have executed executed strongly on the operations, getting 5G launched, certainly broadening our customer base, new products, new customers, and new geographies attracts new investors. So we, we re- revamped the management team all new. It's a new board. Mm-hmm. Some marquee investors uh, have come to the company. So it's sort of the first and second inning of the financial restructure. But the last earnings call, we did announce a, Substantial reduction in debt over 60 million, uh, restructuring to eliminate around 8 million in cash expense. So we're going to advance in the in, in, in the ining, innings, I should say, of the financial restructuring as we have done in the operational side, launching new products. So it it is a plan, it's a program. We're working through it, and we'll get there.
1: All right. So last time we had IBM on uh, people weren't to happen with a quarter, but, but so be it. But they have a uh, close almost everyone working at home. Uh, J.P. Morgan. Same thing. Uh, City, Same thing. Uh, Bank of America. So are they uh, part of the reason why Ensego stock is so strong?
2: Well, uh, in fact, a number of those you just mentioned are existing customers. So why would they come to Encigo's? Um The design of our products, super fast speeds, 4G, hundreds of megabits, 5G gigabits, that's the the promise delivered. Uh, Very reliable, it's good enough to connect, you have to stay connected, and then highly secure. We have multi-layers of security in our products, anti-hacking, encryption layers. And so we have Goldman, Morgan Stanley, City Chase as customers. We also have uh, Department of Defense, uh, Homeland Security, Justice, those are our customers. So we really build a product for the high-end enterprise applications that provides the, the Internet connectivity that you need. Wow. Well, that's, that is a terrific story. And I feel bad that I did not
1: know it. A, a viewer, but many of our viewers are very smart, came to me. And I am so glad you came on our show, Dan Mondor, Chairman, CEO of Insego, with what's really a very exciting story. Great to meet you, sir.
2: Likewise, Jim. Thanks for having me Thank on. You. Well, guys,
1: you know, look, well, there's no secret to it. Our, our viewers are the smartest people in the world. And this is who we learn from, In the Seagull. They have money's back after the break. I want to start off this lightning round by thanking all the incredible American businesses that have helped pivot their operations to help in this anti-COVID fight. Cody Johnson from National Science in Houston, Texas, went from making signage to 100,000 of these face shields per week in just 21 days. Thank you, Cody, for this. And thank you for all the businesses in our country who have stepped up to help when our country most needs you. And now it is time. It's time for the. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, time for the light round. We're going to start with Will in New York. Will. Hey, Jim, how are you? Couldn't be better, Will. I feel very safe. What's going on? Good. Uh, My question is, with the... Uh, World Wrestling Entertainment being the only kind of sports entertainment around, is WWE a good buy right now? WWE, no, I know they cut costs a lot but you know what, let's stick with video games I think those are the best way to play it Let's go to Sharon in New York Sharon! Sharon?
3: Hi Jim, how are you? Oh,
1: I'm fine, how are you?
3: I'm good. I, first of all, I love listening to your show, and Thank I've been you. following you for years. Uh, I originally bought Dow Chemical many, many years ago, mm-hmm. and it spun into Corteva DuPont Dow right, Inc. Right.
1: Did a lot of that stuff.
3: Right. Do you think Dow Inc. is a buy at this point? Um, I think the
1: numbers are probably too high, uh, which does worry me. So I think you have to hold off buying it. Uh, but I do think that Jim Fitterly is doing an excellent job at Dow Chemical. How about Joe in Washington? Joe. Hi, Professor Chill. How you doing today? Uh, the Chill man's good. How about you? Pretty good. I got a proposition for you. All right. What do you think about um,
2: doing a little uh, nibbling on Dover, POV?
1: It's an excellent industrial. If the economy comes back, you're going to be sitting pretty. But that's a big if. But if it does, I like Dover. Let's go to Melanie in California. Melanie. Hi. <laughs> Hey, you have great energy and great guests. Sure. Try my best. Um, What's going on? <laughs> New
0: Mountain Financial. Uh, will it be able to meet its objective generating income with capital appreciation? Okay. Now, the, this thing yields 19%. Dividend?
1: My experience during this period is if it yields 19%, that is a definitive red flag, and I don't want to touch it. Let's go to Greg in Virginia. Greg.
2: Hey, Jim. Beyond you, and thank you for taking my calls. Now. Of course. In addition to Apple, I'd like to add a tech stock to my portfolio, and I'd like it to have a dividend. What do you think of Broadcom?
1: Oh, man, I like Broadcom so much. We own it through the Chapel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the club, the Plus.com club. And I think it'll react positively to what tech systems say, and I think it's an inexpensive stop. Brian in Tennessee. Brian! Booyah, Jim, how's it going? Oh, very well. How about you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm a second-time caller and a long-time viewer. I love watching your show every day, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. We can get to the football season on time, Jim. Just not the Bucks. We can't have the Bucks win because they just got cronk, apparently.
1: Yeah, I didn't like that either.
2: <laughs> so first, I'm curious where the S&P oscillator's at, but I'm calling to get your thoughts on something that's run up more than 40% in the last month and just got FDA approval for a stay-at-home coronavirus test by sell or hold. I'd love to get your thoughts on LabCorp. Symbol, the LabCorp L-A. and
1: Quest Diagnostics, no matter what you do, doing, I'm not that big fans of either company, but they've been good investments. So I just have to say, yeah, I know they got, he's going to do the stay at home. It's fine. Uh, what can I say? I prefer Abbott Labs. That's a real great company. How about Kevin in Massachusetts? Kevin. Jim, I absolutely love the energy the last two weeks. Yes, about we the, bring it. Everyone else is dogs? gotten tired we it! bring it. Uh, data, I like Data Dog. I mean, it's funny because I was doing some work on Data Dog over the weekend. It's such a funny name. I would never have called it Data Dog, but the, I, met the, I met the guys this year. Fabulous situation. All right, let, let's go to Luis in Kansas.
2: Luis. Hi, James. How are you? Thanks for taking the call. Of course. Hey, um, I actually uh, needed a little guidance on Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, I know the last earnings, it dropped, and then, but the outcome... Of the quarter was body.
1: okay, but remember, I mean, you know, any re- any retailer, pre-COVID and post-COVID are very different, with the exception of the ones with the biggest balance sheets. They did do some things that make it so that they can survive for a little bit longer, but look at Kohl's. Look at, look at, at Nordstrom. These are great American companies, and they are having a real hard time. Let's go to Jim in New Hampshire. Jim!
2: Oh Jim. Booyah. Live for your die. Hey, uh, last week uh, Dave and Buster had a at market offering, right. and I wonder what your play is on play.
1: Um, you know, I, I, I being in the restaurant business myself, it is just too hard right now to try to figure out whether the profitability isn't just going to be crimped big time by stay by both stay at home but also social distancing. So I'm going to say no. Uh, And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round.
0: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: That's it, Kramer. Keep sending lambs to the slaughter. Well, I got that tweet right after I interviewed Vlad Kenneth, He's the co-founder and co-CEO of Robinhood, disrupt the disruptive digital brokerage house that mostly serves younger investors. At first, I thought my critic was talking about how Robinhood had outages on some very big days March, something I addressed before the interview when I invoked Biggie Smalls, Mo Money Mo Problems, and in the interview itself with some tough questions. Oh, but that's not what the guy meant. Nah, I want to trash me. When I get in the meat of the order after confirming Robinhood's trades and account openings that were stronger than ever... Well, what would these supposed lambs on average 31 years old buy? That's what I care about. Turns out they actually like some pretty intriguing stocks. Let's go over the top 10. The most popular is Inovio Pharmaceuticals. I always tell you to own at least one speculative stock, and the younger you are, the more speculative you can be. We've had Novio on the show. They're one of two companies that have a coronavirus vaccine in human trials. The other is Moderna, another Kramer favorite, with a stock that's up more than 150% for the year. Novio's up 200%. If the vaccine works, we a lot more upside. Ford's number two, and I have to believe that this is all about bargain hunters taking advantage of a stock that's down close to 50% for the year, and they like these $5 stocks. I think that's a mistake. Sure, Ford, the enterprise, will make it through the period in some form or another, but the stock might be worthless if the company runs out of money. Next is a penny cannabis stock. I don't like penny stocks. They're penny stocks for a reason. The blue chip cannabis play is Canopy Growth, which is backed by the incredibly well-run Constellation brands. If you want to bet on a Democratic sweep in November, followed by marijuana legalization, Canopy. Number four is Disney. Oh, I think this one's brilliant. Right now, Disney's getting crushed. No sports, no theme parks, no movies, no cruises. But eventually, we're going to get through this tough period for this iconic company, and Disney's stock's going to bounce back. A good buy if you've got a long time horizon, and probably it's younger clientele, they got decades. Five is Microsoft, easy, best performing large cap tech. What's not to like? Six, American Airlines. Now, this is another one where I get the temptation. Stock's down close to 70% from its highs. Big bounce back candidate if the government bails out the industry. And we always bail out the air industry. But United just had to do a gigantic equity deal tonight. Will American have to do the same? That could move it down. I like number seven, Boeing. Again, you have to believe it will be saved by Uncle Sam. The question is, can you get some demand for planes going again? And will the FAA certify the 737 MAX? I think it's a 50 down, 100 up situation. Perfect risk reward for a younger investor. Eighth, Carnival. I looked up cruises that you can take, and even though it's got the most tattered balance sheet, not to mention the most tattered reputation, it's still taking customers at incredibly reduced rates for next year. And hey, you can get a refund if the tr- cruise is canceled. I, I wouldn't own Carnival, if, if, you know, if you're my age, no. But if you're thirty, it might be worth the speculation. Uh, people might forget what just happened. Could happen. Number nine is General Electric. I own this one from my charitable trust. She has a fabulous CEO, Larry Culp, and I think it's a better play on the eventual rebound in air travel than Boeing. Finally, there's Tesla. You bet Tesla. I'm surprised it's number 10 and not number two or three. If you're a younger investor, it makes a ton of sense to bet on the only car company that's, that's so popular it doesn't need to advertise. I always say Tesla's a tech company on wheels. To me, that's a fantastic list. All right, not perfect, but very good for speculation. I prefer some fractional shares in wildly popular companies with quadruple-digit stock prices to a petty stock. But otherwise, if this is a slaughter, call me a lamb. Stick with Kramer. This volatility is unheard of, people. Use it to reevaluate your portfolio.
2: You're the best. Thank you very much for your show and advice throughout the years.
1: We have your back, and we will get through it together. Thanks for always being willing to stick your neck out and give us your honest, informed opinion. I want you to know we appreciate you trying to help us out. I am there for you, all right? These times, I am playing for you. You get every bit of my knowledge. I'm just trying to do my best for you. We always get through these together. Will this time be any different? No. Netflix, good quarter, always cautious. People then sell it down, and then the voracious buyers of the stock come right back. Snap, That's one I've liked. They're finally starting to deliver their potential. Texas Instruments has been just a terrific semiconductor stock the whole time. But the best in the lot tonight is Chipotle. Once again, they delivered. Brian Nickel is so good. Great balance sheet. Fabulous food. It's what people want. And the stock, remember, I told you that stock is going to $1,000. And I am not backing away one bit. Thank you to our viewer for sending me that great Unble- unbelievable masks I will now wear on Halloween too, not just then. Like I said, there's always boom, work, and summer promise finance just for your made money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow morning, host by my Red Scott Bother Reports now.
0: Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success